Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP practitioner course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. What's going on? Hey, welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning, and it's a beautiful day in paradise. It's a beautiful day in paradise because I am working from home. Are you working from home? Are you going out? Are you in an office? I don't know what you're doing, but I know that you're looking for motivation. You're looking for drive. You're looking for some inspiration, some cool stories. And we have yet another amazing entrepreneur. This week, though, my guest is a little different. He started his entrepreneur journey um, from broke at age 50 to now multimillionaire through several different strategies. We're going to talk about some wealth building strategies. But to me, I think one of the coolest things is um, that he's gotten into this um, amazing nonprofit sector where after he built his money, uh, he now donates 100% of profits from all of his books, online program, coaching, everything that he does to give back and teach about the wealth building. He gives to a charity called Shelter to Soldier, where rescued dogs are trained as service animals for soldiers who return with PTSD or traumatic brain injury after serving. Um, very excited to get into the why behind this and, and the strategies for you. His best-selling book, Wealth on Any Income, has been translated to eight languages. Uh, please help me welcome uh, Mr. Rennie Gabriel. Rennie, are you there, my friend? Oh, I am. Thank you so much, Matt. This is such a privilege and an honor for me. Wow, that's mighty strong words. I appreciate that. Thank you for making the time coming on the show. Um, Rennie, I, I want to start off with, you know, you, of course, have uh, built a wealth and a fortune for yourself after age 50. What was life like growing up? Did you, as a kid, was there a lot of money in your household? Was there not a lot of money? You know, sometimes kids grow up and they go, you know, I'm, I was dead broke as a kid. My parents never had anything and I want to build a fortune. Or did you come from money? What was that child rearing like? I, I would, I, in my mind, it was middle class. Uh, my mom worked as a clerk in a bakery. Uh, my dad was a blue collar worker. He measured for shower door installations for his uh, brother who owned the business. And, you know, as, as a kid, I just, you know, we had what we had. I didn't know any better. I didn't know if we were rich, poor, or otherwise, but we always had food. So I wasn't concerned. Yeah, I, I think I probably grew up the same way. You know, again, not knowing any different. I, I would say we were like the lower middle class. So, you know, I had toys at Christmas, my birthday. So we had presents, but I also wore like hand-me-down clothes from cousins of my brother. <laughs> and we went to the snow with, uh, I love telling the story, two pairs of jeans and garbage bags to try to keep our legs dry. And, and like, I, did, I was like, okay, well, that's what we do because we don't go to the snow, but other kids had outfits or whatever. Um, when, when you grow up, you know, just kind of that way, was money a factor for you? Did you, 
like throughout school and, and after graduating, were you thinking, okay, let's figure out how to make money or was it chasing just passions, dreams, different things? What, so how, how did money affect you as you were getting into graduation time? And then kind of the follow-up question is what did you think you were going to do when you grow up? Um, it, it's funny. Cause when you're talking about how you grew up, I was realizing, you know what? My mom would buy pants for me that were way too large expecting me to grow into them so she wouldn't have to buy more clothes, except I would wear them out at the knees before I grew into them. Uh, and, and I guess it, it was a situation, you know, when I look back at it from the standpoint of money, is that I just wanted to be okay. Uh, I wasn't striving to be wealthy. Um, I didn't think about I want to be doing better than my parents or any of those things. And it probably wasn't until uh, I got into working after college that I realized, well, I'm not really enjoying this. Um, I don't want to have to work for a living. And that's probably where it started. Um, it, it was just, I was in sales, didn't quite enjoy it. I was going to ask, what kind of jobs did you do that, that made you think, I don't know that I want to work for a living? Uh, I was doing insurance sales. I was selling life insurance. And yeah, it's just, you know, selling the intangible, it's not something, you know, people could wrap their hands around and show it off to their neighbors, uh, like, you know, like a new car or a new house or something. And while I was doing good for other people, it just was not a lot of fun. I just, I really did not enjoy it. And ha so how long did you, were you in the kind of the sales world? What, what, what age years did that last for? Uh, about 25 years. I started as a school teacher when I graduated college. And that was what I really enjoyed. But unfortunately, it paid so little, I couldn't take care of myself and my wife and a, and a child. It, that, that was frustrating. I would have probably stayed teaching if I was just earning some more money. And, and what were you teaching? I feel like I, I missed that. Uh, um, <laughs> I didn't say. I was, oh, okay, uh, good. I was teaching physical education and art. Wow. So insurance salesman to PE teacher. And what did you like about teaching and what, what was disenfranchising to you about that? Uh, the fun part was working with children. I taught kids all the way from elementary school through high school, and I'd meet their parents. It was a small town environment in Nebraska. I mean, the population was like 1,800 people. It just was so much fun to be able to relate to the parents, relate to the students, um, have them appreciate what they were learning. I just, I really enjoyed that. But, in, you know, because it didn't pay enough money, I figured, okay, I have to do something else. And that's when I went into sales. Um, you know, I earned more money, but one of the things I noticed is no matter how much money I earned, as I earned more and more each year, I was accumulating more and more debt. And why, just, why was that? Was it uh, a budgeting? Was it mindset? When you look back, what do you attribute? Because I think a lot of people go into that exact place. And, and I certainly have too. You know, even in, in business, you know, it's easy to say, you know, the more money I'd make in the business, sometimes the less ahead personally I would become. Because when we made more money, we spent more money and I actually had less at the end of the year. What do you attribute to growing debt even when you're making more money? Um, I, I found that same cycle. And year after year, I figured if I just make more money, it'll work out. And it never, and it didn't. And this is kind of an embarrassing situation, but I I had an education as a certified financial planner. I'm a chartered life underwriter. I got all this financial education and it's not <laughs> working personally. Isn't that great? Until I got into a 12-step program called Debtors Anonymous. Did you really? Yeah. Yep. 
And, and you know, I, I've heard of that. I've never been, I, I've been to uh, a lot over the years of different 12 step programs. I went to AA and NA when I was 17 years old. And some of my listeners have heard that story before, but um, very familiar with the whole anonymous programs and 12 step programs. Tell me a little bit about debtors anonymous. Um, is it, is it closer to like an overeaters anonymous or closer to like an alcoholics anonymous or totally different? Uh, I, I would say it's somewhere in between from the standpoint that one, you have a sponsor and two, one of the unique things about it is you're talking about money, number one. And number two, they have a thing called a pressure group where three other members get together with you to go over your numbers and support you in what's working and what's not working and help you create a path to get out of the mess you're in. And I don't think they have that in Overeaters Anonymous or AA or Narconon or any of the rest of them where three people get together with you and their whole job is to focus on supporting you to create a transformation. Oh, that's really good. And I guess my question was more around when I think about say Alcoholics Anonymous, the idea is quit drinking alcohol. It's no longer part of your life. And then we, you know, we, we rebuild. And then with Overeaters Anonymous or Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, the idea is, well, it's not about getting rid of sex or getting rid of food. It's going to be part of your life, but building a healthy relationship with it and working with triggers. What's the approach to Debtors Anonymous? Is it like Dave Ramsey, this is the last day you'll ever have debt. And from this point forward, you're getting rid of it and never going back. Or is it about, because you know, you're not going to get rid of money, so to speak, but you can get rid of debt. What's the, what's the psychology and approach for, for you from that point for money and for debt? Uh, it was really recognizing that uh, there's a priority to having, to handling money effectively. And priority number one is not making more money. Although for many people in the program, that is an issue. They need to have more self-worth. They do need to earn more money, but it is look at expenses first. And then when you are able to intelligently handle your expenses it makes it so much easier to when you grow your income, you have something to show for it. And that was the turning point for me was recognizing it's expenses to focus on first, it's income to focus on second. And literally when I did that, I went from earning, let's say 125,000 and being 25,000 in debt to earning 150 and having no debt. Isn't that just an incredible mindset shift? And here's what's funny is, Randy, when you say that, it seems so obvious. Like, I think, I think, you know, anyone listening goes, well, yeah, of course. Well, obviously, yeah, you know, you know, you can't spend more than you have or whatever it is, but no, it's, it's focused on the, on the, the expense first. And if you're, if you're making, let's just say $10,000 a month, focus on, okay, right now I'm spending 10,000 or 11,000 or 12,000 a month. Well, how can I get this budget shifted? Because if you had a recession or if you had a cut in income, you would figure out how to get by on 8,000 a month or seven, you just would. So if you can get your expense down under at 7,000 a month, you know, in this example, and then start earning, it's like, it's almost as if, would you say that when you grow your income without having a healthy relationship with expense and debt, when you grow your income, you start making more money, would you say that's more dangerous or is that the easy way out? What, what's your advice on that? If someone says, I want to focus on more sales, more money, I want to bring in the next big client. Uh, yes, it is dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is to look at the situation that we have right now. We've, you know, as we're recording this, we're in the midst of a pandemic and people all of a sudden have no paychecks. Uh, people have various businesses with no revenue. I've seen restaurants just uh, being decimated because- It's heartbreaking. 
Yeah, it is. It, it's just horrible to see. And when I look at my situation now, I look at, we've got a year's worth of cash available to us as reserves. Uh, I, I'm not worried at all about our situation. You know what, if the tenants didn't pay rent for the next year, it's not an issue for us. And now why is that? It, it's because, what, well, one of them is I'm, I'm insecure. Uh-huh. <laughs> and having those kind of reserves gives me a little bit more of a feeling of security where I don't worry about stuff. You know, that's, that's really what it's all about. And when, you know, we were talking about having the, looking at the expenses first, you know, I think of examples where uh, back in the 1980s, flight attendants for Continental Airlines were told, hey, um, we're either going to lay off 23% of you, or it's a union, you vote, and well, you can all keep your jobs, but you'll lose 23% of your income so we can stay in business. You vote, you choose. They chose to keep their jobs and give up 23% of their income. And they figured out how to get by on that much less money. Guess what? They figured it out. And that could have been 23% of their income. They set aside while they were making it, paying themselves first, like they deserved to keep that money. And they could have been using that to invest and grow a passive income stream. This concept is, <laughs> it's been revolutionary for my life, for me and my wife. Everything transforms and changes when you just start realizing, okay, when do I start? And, and you know, <laughs> I, 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 I came across this recently before I met you, I picked up the book Profit First by yes. Kalowitz. You probably heard of Profit mm-hmm. First. Yes. And that's when I first got introduced to the, just that concept of in business instead of, because I always look at whatever I make in income and then my expenses are what they are. But to really say, no, hang on, for every dollar that comes in, we're going to take a percentage for profit. We're going to take, you know, the percentage for, and what is the percentage that goes towards debt reduction? Or what's the percentage that goes towards expenses? And I can't tell you for four years, I, I've been self-employed for 18 years. And from day one, if someone, people have told me this over the years, Randy, and if someone tells me, well, you know, you should have a, a percentage budget. So if you have 65% of your income going towards your, your budgeted expenses that, you know, you're forecasting to have as expenses, I would tell them, well, I can't do that because I don't know what it's going to be, or it might be more, or what if I need to grow my business or I need to invest back in the business. And I, I didn't realize, but I've always been living my life responding to what I thought were these weird ethereal expenses out there in the world coming at me never taking charge of it and just deciding what to be. So you, did you really not get this until about age 50? Cause I know you tell me about the, the broke story. Cause I know that's going to be a good story. You find yourself like at the, at the precipice going, this is not working. And then you turn things around with these principles. So what led you to getting broke at a half century? It, it, well, there were two divorces uh, and the business failure. I had an art gallery business and that, you know, took me down as well. But I would say the mindset piece in terms of the debtors anonymous really set me up with the skill level of what to do. And it wasn't until age 50 after my second divorce. And I'm literally in such bad shape. I'm having to collect soda bottles and cans to get the refund money to buy food. It it just, you know, when I look back at it, here I am a certified financial planner. You know, I can save people tens of thousands of dollars in taxes and show them all these wonderful investment strategies. And I'm, I'm trying not to curse, collecting bottles and cans to get refund money. And you're a CFP. I yeah. mean, I, I relate not being a CFP, but I relate so much in that one of my first breakout speaking roles in Australia was at a, at a wealth seminar and I had to teach financial mindset. And I showed up in the country 
in debt with $40 cash in my account and all my bank accounts negative. <laughs> and I had to teach them about wealth mindset, which was just a bizarre thing. Um, how long were you going around living kind of in that way? And what happened that finally got it? What, how did you get that in your brain where you're like, this has to change? Uh, it, well, I'm 50 years of age and I'm looking, I'm about to get married for the third time, last time, fabulous wife, happy as can be, the best decision I ever made. Uh, and it, it, I'm looking at, okay, I'm 50 years of age. I've got nothing. In 15 years from now, I don't want to be eating cat food to get by. What the heck am I going to do? So I put into practice a concept that's 5,000 years old. I'd done it a few times before, but this time it was in earnest and it's called pay yourself first. And one of the things I laughed at when you were talking was you said, when am I going to do this? That's one of the secrets I discovered about wealthy people. When they hear familiar information like pay yourself first, they don't make statements like I've heard that before. Oh, I know that. That's not new to me. Uh, I've done that before. Ordinary people make statements when they hear familiar information. Wealthy people ask questions like, where does that fit in my situation? What do I need to do? How do I need to do it? Who can support me with this? And those questions lead to the answers that create the transformation. And so I'm 50 years of age. I've read the book, Richest Man in Babylon for the third time. Can I tell you what a great title? What a great book. Oh yeah. It, it, I mean, like, the concept's 5,000 years old. It will be working when you and I are dust. It'll still be working. Yes. So I'm earning $5,000 a month coaching uh, certified other financial planners and accounting firms, how to grow their profits. And so as a business coach, I'm making 5,000 a month. I set aside $500 a month. And after three years, I've saved up $18,000. Whoopee. And my wife, who is a real estate agent, had a partner in real estate who said, oh, I found this little three unit building. We should buy it. And I'm thinking, oh, that's great. I've got a lot, $18,000, big deal. That's not enough. Yeah, well, my wife chipped in 18,000. He wanted in, so he purchased, he put, picked, he put in 36,000. We now had the down payment for this building. And years earlier, I'd taken a class at UCLA on how to manage multi-unit real estate. And now I'm getting to put it into practice. So I managed the properties. That little triplex grew in value in about four or five years by a half a million dollars based on the management we brought to it because it had deferred management, deferred maintenance, and we took care of that. And what I did is I borrowed more money to make down payments with my wife and him. And within six years, we had 50 units. Okay, now what's the, the, what's the year time frame for this? So we can put it in perspective. This started in 2003. So here we go. I, I'm 50. I saved money for three years. 2003, we, I start with this little triplex. So by 2000, oh, let's see, six. I, I failed high school math. So give me a little while to add this up. Okay. Yeah. So three and six is nine. So by 2009, we had 50 units. And how did 2007, eight and the early part of nine affect? Cause you, I mean, you're right in the, in the, right in the middle of it. And it's a very, it's a very dangerous line people walked. And one of the things I did in the time I had about 5 million in property in 2007, um, and some of it was over leveraged, right? Where, because I was saying, hey, I can take this out. I can do a down payment and pick up another property. Um, did everything you have cash flow? Did most of it cash flow? What was, your, what was your, your main guiding principle on having 50 units or 50 properties, especially when that recession of 08 was coming? Uh, if it couldn't cash flow or break even when we purchased it, we didn't purchase it. 
solid. I mean, it seems so obvious. I'm laughing right now because of course, right? But me and everyone else I've ever met, <laughs> aside from a few here and there that are still around, that wasn't the principle. It was like, it's going up so fast. You get caught up in it. It's going to be worth a hundred grand more next year. So who cares if it's negative, buy it now. And you're going to make a hundred thousand dollars. Who cares if you lose 4,000 a year, right? That, that was a, a predominant thought process, but you took the opposite. Yeah. And, and why was that? Was it just for the obvious? Was there a principle inside of it? It was insecure. No, it was insecurity. I mean, I'm coming from a background of being broke, collecting soda bottles and cans, and too insecure to take those kinds of risks. Um, you know, borrowing the money to make down payments on buildings made sense because even borrowing the money, as long as I could see that the building at least broke even or cash flowed a little bit, it was going to be okay. And when 2008 hit, we didn't have any problems. The tenants still paid their rents. We were still doing just fine. I will admit the early years, at like 2003, four, five. I mean, if a plumbing bill came in, it might have wiped out a month's profit, but that's all it did. It just wiped out the profit for that month, not for the year. So that was what we did. We bought buildings that were mismanaged, had deferred maintenance. I brought the better management to it. We came up with the ways of cleaning the properties up, whether it was repainting, whether it was putting on a new roof, whether it was repairing termite damage, whatever it was. And they just did really well. Um, I mean, literally, we used the uh, tax deferred exchange that's available in the U.S. to uh, 1031 exchange, do 1031 exchanges. And that little triplex that we bought, the first one we bought, we exchanged that into a 15 unit building and paid no capital gains taxes on that profit. And we spent literally a quarter million dollars rehabbing that 15 unit building. And the rents went from 6,000 a month when we bought it. And again, it would have broken even. It went to 16,000 a month within 18 months. Wow. And it's all, I mean, just, just doing the right thing. Yeah. Fixing up and making a place nice, charging appropriate, you know, top level rents, I'm assuming, or yeah. at least appropriate rents because now it's a nice place and not a slum, <laughs> treating people well, uh, and then making sure that it cash flows. Absolutely. And, and I like the, what you said about treating people well. I take care of our tenants. I, these are the people who are buying real estate for me. And so as an example, before our call today, um, I got a call from a tenant who said, uh, our kitchen sink is backing up. And then I got a call from the tenant behind them because they're connected that their kitchen sink was backing up. I called the service we use. They were out there within an hour clearing the drains. When you said, when you said taking care of them, I, I love that, that frame of they're the ones buying my properties for me. And, and not in a negative way, right? It's like if somebody was in a position to purchase a house, they'd be able to, and, and that would be a good thing. But if someone has made the choice or they're in a position to rent, they're going to rent somewhere. So, and, and that is paying towards having your property taken care of. So what I flashed in my mind was my tenants are my clients. And if you're running a business, what if you treated your tenants like your clients, not those pesky people who you're trying to, you know, they're trying to milk you for repairs and you're trying to milk every dollar. And what if you just treated them like clients because they're that valuable to you? And Renny, you have uh, real quick, I just want to kind of pivot to this as we move to the next spot. You have a very cool roadmap. It's called the Roadmap to Complete Financial Choice. And you can find out more about this guys at wealthonanyincome.com slash TEDx. You can actually see Renny's TEDx talk and talks all about the, the give back portion of this. Can we pivot a little bit into 
when you decided now, you know, you're in a whole different place. You have income, you have assets growing, you're out of debt, like this is very good. And now you decide it's time to give back. How did you pick shelter? Was it shelter to soldiers? Shelter for? Yes. How did shelter you? Shelter to soldier.org. Shelter to soldiers.org. Why and how did you pick that of all the different charities to be a part of? And when did you know it was time to enter the give back phase of wealth? Uh, it was a, an interesting situation. And two things I want to relate to. When you're talking about treating your tenants like clients, that is exactly what I did. I gave every new tenant a copy of my Wealth on Any Income book because I figured at some point in time, they're going to want to buy a house. Let me show them how to handle money effectively. And it does two things. It ties them to me, number one, because of doing something for them. And number two, it teaches them how to handle money effectively. So paying rent doesn't become a problem. Absolutely a win-win. So every one of my tenants got a copy of my book. And, you know, so like I said, I do treat them as clients. So I like exactly what you said. How this charity came about is my wife and I were always donating to various charities, whether it was animal causes, veterans, homeless shelters, um, whatever it was. And my wife was uh, the chairperson of a charitable foundation in Los Angeles uh, with Berkshire Hathaway. And someone brought this charity to her attention. She knew I had an affection for veteran causes and animal causes. So she brought it to my attention. And here I'm seeing a charity. Hold on. Here I'm seeing a charity that is rescuing dogs that would have been euthanized and training the service animals for soldiers who protect our way of life here, who let us do what the things that we do here. And when they come back, they're not treated that well. They have PTSD or traumatic brain injuries, and they're put into group programs where they can't even talk, or they're given medications that don't do anything for them. And they're committing suicide at the rate of one an hour. Uh, <clears throat> so I'm looking at the people who protect us, killing themselves, and dogs that, that are the greatest things in my mind on the planet that are being euthanized by the thousands. And this is a charity that's saving them, saving both of them, two lives at a time. Wow. So, and wh yeah. wh why was that? I mean, um, powerful and certainly a, a very, very important uh, cause to be a part of. Why did that become personal for you? Is there a history in there? Or did you just see the story and see the situation and say, this is so important. I want to help. It, it, it was seeing the story. It was meeting a veteran whose life was completely transformed from having a service dog. There's not one veteran who's received a service dog that's committed suicide. Can you say that again? There's not one veteran who's received their service dog. I'm not talking about a pet. I'm talking about a service animal who is, they have not committed suicide. Not one returning veteran with PTSD or traumatic brain injury or otherwise, not one veteran who's received a service dog as a companion and a helper and support has ever committed suicide. That is, that, that, that might be one of the most important statistics I've ever heard. It, you know, I, I, I lose the ability to talk about it sometimes. If I, if I go on their website and I watch the videos, I just start crying. I can't even I can watch the that. videos and get through them because of the transformation that occurs. These animals can turn on light switches. They sense when a veteran is starting to melt down and they remove them from the environment. They wake them up if they're having night terrors. A veteran might be in a department store. It gets too crowded. They start to have flashbacks. The dog takes them out of the environment. Wow. It's just, it's absolutely amazing. 
and these and these are animals that are euthanized like they're nothing. Yeah. I mean, you, you are, you're talking about whether it's, it's from the human veteran perspective, the animal perspective, in some ways, both these disenfranchised groups, both sometimes a group that is going to get forgotten or not being taken care of and you pair them together. And, you know, I hate this word synergy, but you know, the, the value of the two together far exceeds being able to be alone. So I, I can see why that's so important to you and so powerful. Um, Randy, final kind of questions here is when you move in, I know you have a major a, a dream, a goal. Um, one of the things that drives you is to help other people. I can never say this word properly. I don't, my tongue doesn't work, but <laughs> you want people to be a philanthropist, philanthropist, <laughs> philanthropist. Yeah, oh, you <laughs> did it. You, you did it. I can, Just took three times. <laughs> I can, I'm never going to get into politics, man. I won't be able to say it but you have a uh, wealth creation roadmap and a proven strategy to help people do that. Can you just share just briefly, why is that important to you? And where should people start if they want to get to a place where income is not now my priority? Now my priority is how much can I give? Uh, yeah. So I say that what we do is we raise philanthropists and see, I can say it. Uh, and the point is, I'm, I'm like a, a pebble in a pond. You, you drop a pebble in the pond and you see the ripple effect and it goes on and on and on. That's how I look at it. I, I can't transform the world by myself, but if I can support other people and primarily the people I work with are coaches, they're heart-centered entrepreneurs, they're healers, they're speakers, they're corporate trainers, they're people who care about other people. And I, I meet so many of them who don't handle and are unable to handle their money effectively. And when they get this piece in place, they want to be giving back. So these are the people that I like to support because for every person that I support, I don't care what charities they're supporting, but the impact grows and grows. And, and that's what it's about. That's what inspires me to do what I do is supporting other people who want to make a difference. Such a, such a, a, a powerful why and grateful to have the conversation with you about that. Um, I, I, I might be tearing up a little bit and I actually am. Um, I, I've been looking at shelter to soldier and, and then reading your story at wealth at any wealth on any income.com slash TEDx and down, you know, most of the page is devoted to shelter to soldier and why you're doing that. Um, super important stuff. So guys, if you head over to wealth on any income.com slash TEDx, uh, or you can see in the show notes if you listen to this on demand and we'll have links right in there. Um, you can, of course, see Rennie's TEDx talks, but you can also, there's a button right at the bottom of the page, check out the roadmap and you can get his income roadmap. Last little bit, can you just explain who is that roadmap for and what will they get out of it and why should they make sure, I want everyone to get this so we can all become philanthropists. <laughs> but you know, actually the word philanthropist. It works because it's about creating a flow of money. Flow. Uh, but yes, it's philanthropist. And the, the, the roadmap is a nine-step process to go from wherever someone is, step by step, to a place where they have complete financial choice. And what I mean by that is people can choose to work or not work. People can choose to donate to charity or do whatever touches their heart. And so the roadmap says, step one is this, step two is this, and the last step is complete financial choice. Very good. So grab that right now, head over there. Um, Renny, last question, and I'll let you get going here. Um, you've been through a ton, and obviously it wasn't until the second half of the, the first century of your life that you really 
um, begin mastering these particular principles. If you could change anything in your entire story and your walk, what would you change? Or would you leave it all the same? My guess is I would leave it all the same because without the experiences of what doesn't work, I wouldn't have had the motivation to do what does work. So you'd leave it. I'd probably leave it. And, and when I look at the fact of who I'm married to now and the wonderful partner and relationship I have now, it was worth the two divorces to be where I am now. Hey, Strong said, lucky number three. And I, lo- I love where you are now. Ren- uh, Rennie, thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. Thank you, Matt. Again, an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, guys, that's the show for this week. Wow. Um, Rennie Gabriel, Sustainable Wealth deleting debt and becoming a philanthropist. I'm just going to keep on butchering the word. I've never been able to say that. It's one of the few words in my entire vocabulary that uh, eludes me. Yet, it is such a powerful word. Um, Make sure you connect with Renny. You can find him on Facebook, uh, Wealth on Any Income at Facebook, and on LinkedIn at Renny Gabriel. It's R-E-N-N-I-E Gabriel. Renny Gabriel on LinkedIn. Uh, I think Instagram, LinkedIn, but check out Rennie Gabriel and then grab that uh, roadmap to complete financial choice at wealthonindyincome.com slash TEDx and help him, of course, give back to uh, our veterans, give back to retraining these dogs into service dogs and saving two lives for one phenomenal, phenomenal charity to be a part of. Make sure you continue to follow me in the show at Matt Browning on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever you prefer. We're putting the show out everywhere. So follow, give us a little like, a subscribe. Feel free to rate and review if you haven't already an Apple Podcasts. Um, go check out Apple Podcasts. This show, of course, not only is on your in your car, not only on the radio, wherever you're listening to this, but it's also on demand. There's over 200 episodes with phenomenal entrepreneurs, stories galore. Go check it out. Go in the archives. You'll see some solo episodes where I teach some uh, mindset or wealth principles or entrepreneur principles, speaking training, all sorts of great things. Enjoy the show. Get out there this week. Stay driven. And just, I don't know, kick butt. I love you. I appreciate you listening. And I'm looking forward to meeting you soon. All right. I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.